Hi, this is Dr. Gwen. Today is Thursday, March 16th, 2009, and welcome to my Women's Health Podcast. The first report is kind of exciting. It's about gene therapy as a treatment for obesity. Uh, it says U.S. medical researchers say they are studying using a gene um, injected directly into the brain as a possible long-term treatment for obesity. This is a study done by Ohio State University Medical Center involves modifying one of the critical feeding and weight control centers of the brain. Obesity, as we know, significantly increases the risks of diabetes, cardiovascular disease, strokes, and some cancer. And the uh, investigator said that the findings promise um, new treatment for obesity that could ultimately provide a much safer and more effective approach than some conventional therapies. Um, the, uh, the investigator said that scientists have discovered a particular gene, it's called the BDNF gene, can improve insulin sensitivity, reduce fat mass, and result in weight loss when active in the hypothalamus. The researchers, what they did is they involved um, injecting the BDF, BDNF gene into normal mice, diabetic mice, and mice fed with a high-fat diet to determine how the gene transfer would affect their weight. The gene was active in the overweight mice, but as they lost weight, the gene expression was essentially dialed down using a novel RNA interference approach, thus stopping the weight from continuing to decrease and allowing a stable target weight to be reached. The next step is to undergo this same study in humans, so that's something for us to keep our eye on. That, I think that's really interesting. The next one is about... Um, shows a study that reports that moderate alcohol consumption may increase uh, bone density. The devastating effects of excessive alcohol consumption are indisputable, although some data suggests that moderate alcohol consumption may impart some health benefits. For instance, several studies reported a positive association between alcohol intake and bone mineral density in older women. There are fewer studies investigating this relationship in men or younger women, and none have considered different classes, classes of alcoholic beverages such as beer versus wine versus liquor. To explore this issue further, an international team of experts headed by uh, the uh, investigator's name is Catherine Tucker studied a cohort of adults in the Framingham Offspring Study. The results for this study are published in the April 2009 issue of the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. In a companion editorial, um, there's, there is an, uh, you know, commentary to the debate in, in that issue. This, in the study, they looked at the effects of alcohol and bone mineral density in older people and said that moderate alcohol consumption was shown to contribute to stronger bones, measured as hip and spine bone mineral density. The positive effect on bone was most notable at one to three glasses of beer in men and more than two glasses of wine or liquor, but not beer for women. The bone-preserving ingredients may be the silicon in beer and resveratrol in wine in addition to the alcohol. Such positive effects on bone must be balanced against the risks of falls and bone fractures caused by consuming excessive alcohol. Duh. <laughs> kind of interesting. And this study actually is from the Women's Health Initiative, um, which the, what they're reporting on is that there's evidence that aspirin it reduces the risk of death in postmenopausal women who have heart disease or who have had a stroke. 
The study also provides new insight into aspirin dosing for women, suggesting that a lower dose of aspirin, 81 milligrams, is as effective as a higher dose, 325 milligrams, which is the standard size. 81 milligrams is considered the baby aspirin. And this is good news for women who might be concerned with internal bleeding, a well-known risk of aspirin that may be more likely with higher doses of aspirin. Um, however, randomized, controlled, uh, randomized clinical trials are needed to determine the optimal doses of aspirin, of, of aspirin in women with cardiovascular disease. Scientific evidence shows that generally aspirin lowers the risk of death and the incidence of heart attack and stroke in patients with a history of cardiovascular disease. However, the benefits of aspirin in women with stable cardiovascular disease in particular are unknown. In this study, researchers analyzed data from 8,928 postmenopausal women who previously had a heart attack, stroke, or transient ischemic attack, which is the same as a mini-stroke, angina, or angioplasty or coronary bypass surgery to improve blood flow. Participants were followed for an average of 6.5 years. Compared to those who did not report taking aspirin, regular aspirin users had a 25% lower risk of death from cardiovascular disease and a 14% lower risk of death from any cause. Overall, aspirin use did not significantly, significantly decrease the risk of heart attack, stroke, or other cardiovascular events, except among women in their 70s. Interesting. There were no significant differences in death rates or other outcomes between women taking 81 milligrams of aspirin compared to those taking 325 milligrams. The size of the Women's Health Initiative study and the diversity of participants provides valuable insight into the use of medications in the primary care setting. For example, the study found that only 46% of women with stable cardiovascular disease in the study reported taking aspirin regularly despite current guidelines. In addition, subgroup analysis indicate that black women and women with Medicaid insurance were less likely to use aspirin as recommended compared to women of other ethnic groups and insurance status. The World Health Initiative is a major 15-year research program designed to address the most frequent causes of death, disability, and poor quality of life in postmenopausal women, cardiovascular disease, cancer, and osteoporosis. The Women's Health Study is a nationwide prospective study to examine the association between clinical, socio and economic, behavioral, and dietary risk factors and the subsequent incidence of several health outcomes. The observational study has followed 93,676 postmenopausal women between the ages of 50 and 79 for an average of eight years. Participants filled out health forms and visited their clinic and physician periodically. Participants were not required to take any medication or change their health benefits. Um, a good place to go and learn more about this is through the uh, National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute. Um, thank you. That's all I have for today. I hope you're all doing well. I just got back from a two-week cruise to Hawaii with my husband. Very, a lot of fun, but very, very cold. And I told my husband I think we were actually were heading to Alaska. But we had a great time. And I hope uh, you're all doing well and staying healthy and taking good care of yourself. This is Dr. Gwen.